Hi and welcome. This is Steve Halpern with Super Anti-Aging Podcast, where I do my best to bring you the latest scientific information on longevity and health span. The new buzzword is health span. Lots of animal research on flies and mice and rats so that we might be able to extend lifespan, but health span is what we really want. And of course, that's been part of the COVID, uh, the story of seniors being much more vulnerable. Well, it seems that one of the problems with uh, health span is as people get older, the immune system ages but it doesn't have to. And that's the whole point. The whole point is what we've accepted as normal isn't necessarily normal. There are populations that literally stay healthy into the uh, you know late 90s and early 100s, the Okinawans and many of the Japanese um populations in their various populations around the world that have long health spans. And yes, it's true. We've had some life extension given uh, modern treatments, early treatments and antibiotics. But the key is we haven't really done much about health span. And, And part of the problem is the concept of medicine. Medicine basically is to treat diseases, health conditions. And since wellness is in a health condition, there's a big problem. If you're going to make a pharmaceutical, it has to be for a specific unhealthy condition. Pharmaceutical companies right now are not investing in wellness. Now, luckily, there are many investors, the owners of Google and Facebook and various uh, mega zillionaires are investing in startups, longevity startups, companies that are willing to... uh, go out of the box and look at things and that's good. And so that's what I try and do. I try and uh, do my homework for you, my listeners, and myself. <laughs> it is definitely um, personal. And for those who don't know, I work with a wonderful integrated physician in New York City, Dr. Paulina Liss, and you know, we're personally experimenting all the time. So you get the benefit of what works. And that's really important. And and part of what works is to keep remembering individual biochemistry. And for good or bad, what works on one person doesn't work on another person. And that's certainly a problem with medications and certain nutraceuticals. So we we try and go by basic uh, guidelines. You know, things that seem to work for a majority of people. 
and then you've got to learn to listen to your body. And that's what I've always said in my counseling, in my decades of counseling. Listen to your body. There's an internal system of listening. And when you listen, you'll know. But first, you have to, you know, stop doing some of the bad things because then you can't listen. Because if your brain is all clogged up, <laughs> you won't be able to listen that well. And so you got to work on the brain. New research has shown that many artificial sweeteners, well, we've known aspartame and, and saccharin, it's been around a long time, can not only affect the microbiome, but also indirectly affect brain function. And so let's talk a little bit about brain function and what I've seen uh, currently working uh, on myself, my family, and uh, people who are working with me. Many, many years ago, I came across a medication called naltrexone. Naltrexone is a medication that's used as an opiate blocker for people who have addictions and they take them so they uh, negate some of the withdrawal symptoms of the you know drug addiction by blocking endorphins. Well, it was found by some really um, scientifically minded physicians that low dose, low dose naltrexone would have a different effect, a beneficial effect. And so originally the thought by Dr. Bahari was that it might help uh, in HIV patients. And it did help in some. <laughs> but then there was some research that it also seemed to help with uh, Kaposky uh, cancer that many AIDS patients were getting. And there was some feedback for cancer patients. But as I've talked to and, and recently discovered, many integrative doctors have been using low-dose naltrexone for many, many years successfully. By stimulating, it works by blocking and then stimulating endorphins. And then there's an anti-inflammatory effect. And one of the key findings is that even minor, minor brain inflammation can affect cognitive functioning. So you want to avoid inflammation and consistently I tell patients to uh, with their physicians monitor the HSCRP to C-reactive protein, their SED rate, which is kind of nonspecific for inflammation. Now there's no real perfect test, but that's a good guideline. If you have a 0 0.1 or 1 um, HSCRP uh, there's a good chance you have uh, low systemic inflammation, which would be caused by lots of things. Environment, genetics, uh, nutrition deficiency, um, periodontal disease um, can all affect inflammation. Now, let's get back to naltrexone. Naltrexone not only seems to have an effect on mTOR, which is an important aging marker, but it seems to have um, an anti-inflammatory effect because you block the endorphins and then as the naltrexone wears off you get a you know you get a boost of endorphins so you get a strong endorphin benefit something like you get if you were running or exercising you know it's 
athletes and you know the run is high so it's you get sort of like the run is high from the endorphins but without you know a withdrawal effect you don't really get uh, a negative effect again uh, naltrexone low dose naltrexone is compounded and it's, you, you want to take it with the guidance of a health practitioner because uh, the dose usually it's good you start on a low dose the dose is important and when to take it some people take it at night some people take it in the morning some people divide the dose it depends on the effect. You know, is it stimulatory? You know, do you have? Does it make you go to sleep, or does it energize you? Um, all important. But what's been found, and you can certainly look on the web, um, lots and lots of good studies. Um, not so many big clinical studies because there haven't been a whole lot of big clinical studies on low dose naltrexone. It's been basically you know, reports from patients and physicians um, and experience functional medicine, right? What works? Now, the other interesting thing is it seems to reduce autoimmune conditions, psoriasis and uh, eczema and uh, digestive, you know, uh, Crohn's disease and people who are on thyroid, uh, especially those that have... Uh, uh, autoantibody thyroid dysfunction can often reduce their thyroid medication uh, as the antibodies decrease with naltrexone. So if you're not on naltrexone and you have these kind of conditions, you might um, do some homework, um, consult with uh, a health practitioner who can uh, has the experience, or you can uh, contact me and uh, I can... Uh, refer some uh, referral sources for the naltrexone. So moving on to brain function. Again, antioxidants over and over and over again. You know, there's a balance of antioxidants to oxidants and often, you know, antioxidants have become a buzzword. Now, you know, antioxidants, everything, you know, antioxidants, uh, toothpaste, cleaning fluid, shampoo, skin, all those things. Okay. Another exciting thing that we've been using and that I think is very valuable is uh, rapamycin. Rapamycin was originally um, discovered as a on Easter Island as an antifungal uh, compound, but then they discovered that it has an immune suppression effect. Interesting that why would you want an immune suppression effect? Well, you'd want an immune suppression effect for organ transplants. Now, it's not a total organ, you know, immune suppressant, but enough that other medications for organ, you know, you're getting a new heart, you get a new lung, you get a new kidney, it can have a beneficial effect. But then it was found by some really great scientists that it did some other things. And in animals, it increased health span and lifespan and many diseases of aging by, again, affecting um, something called mTOR, main target of rapamycin, which is sort of the gas in the brake on your cells. You want in early life uh, high mTOR. You're growing, and the muscles are growing, and you're brain is growing and your body is maturing and so you want high mTOR but it was found that as people got older 
it wasn't such a good idea that Lorient tour, well, not completely, but somewhat, was beneficial because you didn't want things growing like tumors and cancers. So there's a balance of mTOR. Not too much, but not too little. And rapamycin is a partial mTOR inhibitor. And uh, there are, again, numerous integrative doctors using it and lots of self-experimenters using it. It seemed to be one of the most promising anti-aging compounds. And again, it's used at a much, much lower dose than the dose for immunosuppression. So when you go online and you look up rapamycin or cinerulus, uh, you'll see all sorts of side effects, but that's on the high dose of rapamycin. There's actually a canine aging project where they're enrolling dogs. Well, the dogs don't have to make out the application, it's the owner, to see what effect it would have on uh, longevity in canines. And that's really in progress right now. And there's some clinical, self-funded clinical trials. People have uh, you know, contributed and self-funded uh, to test rapamycin and see what kind of uh, health span biomarker effects they would see. Now, there's another interesting way of, you know, of course, the rapamycin has to be compounded. There's another interesting um, fact of rapamycin, and there was a skin experiment where they made a rapamycin cream compounded, and it seemed to improve wrinkles and collagen production, you know, that whole you know, wrinkling of the hands. We call it those bony hands that people get as they get older. And by the way, you know, as as, as a side note, uh, being a baby boomer, people know me personally. I do not have any baby boomer symptoms, uh, wrinkles, gray hair, uh, eyes, ears, joints, arthritis, diabetes. I don't have any of those. And then when i watching some uh, YouTube videos of contemporaries, you know, even like the Rolling Stones and some of the actors and actresses and people well known. And I look and I go, wow, they've aged. And then the question is, why? And where's it start? Well, aging starts in the cells. It starts in your mitochondria and your cell batteries. What can you do? Um, there are nutrients that... Um, help clean out the cells and help support healthy mitochondria, certainly uh, Q10 and prostostabiline and glycine and uh, liposomal glutathione, fish oils, physetin, liposomal, as I said, liposomal quercetin. You know, those are certainly nutrient compounds that have um, been explored and certainly in animal studies and cell studies uh, seem to... Uh, help with health span. Again, another buzzword is, I've said these in these podcasts before, and, and in the new year, I will definitely interview the experts and the scientists. And anyone who has a podcast and wants me on the podcast, that's fine to reach another audience. Uh, just email me at steven, steven nutrition at gmail, stevennutrition at gmail.com. Uh, ECGC from green tea is also uh, an interesting anti-aging compound. So part of it is, again, buzzwords, Synolix, 
I've talked about this over and over again in these podcasts, synolic cells or senescent cells, and treatment is synolic compounds. Senescent cells are these zombie cells that accumulate. If you want to see senescent cells, look at an older person's hands and you see those brown spots. Well, certainly that's an example of senescent cells. You know, it can uh, be caused by lots of reasons, cross-linked you know, protein. But basically, you want to get rid of non-functioning cells. Well, it's like a car. You know, I, I go back to cars. You, you, know, you have an eight-cylinder car, and you have a spark plug in one of those cars. One of those cylinders ain't working. That car ain't going to work, and it's going to drain your energy your car ain't going to, your motor ain't going to be running. So you want to clean out those damaged cells. And cleaning out those damaged cells by a process called autophagy. Autophagy is the cell just self-destructs. So those senescent cells self-destruct. The compounds are called senolic compounds. There are some drugs, a lot of drug companies are working in, especially in cancer. There seems to be an accumulation of senescent cells in many, many cancers. So um, that's going to be the big buzzword. The big buzzword is going to be um, senescent cells, senolic compounds. In food, of course, there are lots of undiscovered compounds. You know, every day I go through research articles and there's some compound in a food that uh, we try and duplicate and it seems to have some um, medicinal effect. And, you know, so, look, going back in history, ancient doctors, let food be thy medicine. You know, Ayurvedic medicine talked about it. Chinese medicine talked about it. And modern medicine is sort of talking about it, but not quite yet because of the huge pharmaceutical investment, which basically says that a compound has to be non-natural. You can't have a natural compound be a drug. And you can't patent a natural compound. Isn't that fascinating? Okay, then if I come out with, and there's research on a natural compound, and it works wonderfully for any condition, cancer or heart disease, that compound cannot be a drug. It can be a copy of nature, which often you know we call them analogs, which are not necessarily the same. And so, if there are, and there are, if you do searches, you'll see lots of um, valuable COVID information. And I'm not. This is not about being anti-vaccine. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but there are you know very expensive drugs for COVID and Omicron. And, and the access to these might be very limited. And there are natural compounds, but they're not patentable. So no one's going to spend a lot of money on drug trials, whether it's, um, you know, uh, the drug, you know, the drug ivermectin. It's very low cost, and no one's doing major, major clinical, good clinical trials. Okay, that... You know, double-blind, placebo-controlled, good clinical trials that are costing millions and millions of dollars, nor on some of the supplements, uh, things like uh, lactoferrin, uh, which kind of interesting. You can cross-reference lactoferrin and COVID and 
glutathione and vitamin C and berberine and probiotics, all sorts of interesting um, uh, research. But again, always the argument comes up, well, there's not large clinical trials, double-blind clinical trials on this. Who's going to pay for this? And are they going to get a grant for this? Since so many grants are, as I talked to my my scientist friends, so many grants are political in nature, uh, possibly. And this was shared by a very... uh, credentialed longevity scientist that possibly the metformin and I'm not against metformin I think it's appropriate for diabetes and they are doing a clinical trial on metformin as an anti-aging compound it's probably worth trying but that the grant there were many other compounds that could have gotten you know um, big grant money but because of politics uh, metformin uh Got in, uh, you know, got a res- big major research grant. Now, this came through some scientist friends. You can take them, take it for what it's worth. So, uh, coming to the end of this podcast, and I hope I'm uh, giving you some valuable insights and things to think about and things to do further research. And if you'd like to contact me, you can. You can leave comments. Please leave comments or questions. Uh, on the website, on you know, on the podcast, and uh, please share the podcast. I will be. I'm promising myself in the next, uh, you know, week or two, uh, move this to also um, some other sites uh, such as Apple Podcast and Amazon Podcast, and there's so many podcast sites. And uh, if you have difficulty, just be patient. Or email me and I'll send you a link to this podcast. And please subscribe. It helps motivate me to know that people are listening and downloading. So again, this is uh, Steve Halpern. And stay healthy and well.